In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling, therapist Ryan Engelstad and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad, here as always with my co-host, executive producer, and hey, why don't we go down to the Wawa, get some water, and then go down to shore for the weekend, Mike Graham. It sounds to me like you're talking about Philadelphia, and if there's anything that I know about Philadelphians, it's that they are an invincible people. Let me tell you about them. They're so invincible that any one of them can walk straight on to a football field and get and get themselves a spot on a professional football team and then be remembered for the rest of their lives. It's quite a place. Uh, yeah, that was my terrible impression of a Philadelphia accent. Um, apologies <laughs> to friends and family who live in the area. Um, and you, just, your, your only reference point is apparently Vince Papale, which is fantastic. That's, <laughs> okay. that's all I got for Philadelphia. All right. Well, apologies to Philadelphia. I mean, there's some historical stuff there. Of course. Yeah. Have you been? Like the bell is there, right? The Liberty Bell sure is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it. No, I've never been to Philadelphia. Uh, well, it's a lovely, lovely city. But, uh, so, so welcome. We, we did the, uh, the Philadelphia reference because we're covering It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia today. But before we get into that, Mike, I think you and I are going to fan out for just a second in anticipation of a, a different franchise. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And we wouldn't normally do this, but this would be our only chance to do this very specifically. That's right. Our, our next episode, you know, it's rare that we do this, but we want to announce that a week from today, when you're listening to this, we will release our Game of Thrones That's episode. Right. Our Game we're, of we're, Thrones it's episode. Good. I mean, it'll probably be like 10 hours long just to cover <laughs> well, everything. We'll do our starting best. Starting at the first episode. Yeah. We're, yeah, yeah we're just doing... covering everything. <laughs> you know, before that, we thought it would be fun just to do a couple minutes on on anticipating the, the end of this series. I know, Mike, that I'm going to out you as not a loyal watcher. But you've gotten in recently is what I understand. That's right. You're going to out me. Uh, And I I think this is fun that we're going to do this because this comes out the day after the finale, right? Uh, People will be listening to this episode after the finale has ended. Yes. Right. So they get to see how wrong we are about our finale predictions. predictions. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. I'm really super interested in hearing yours and uh, to uh, just go back to what you just said. Yeah, I, I actually just started from the fourth season like three weeks ago so i am not a loyal fan but so you didn't is that to say you did not watch the first couple seasons uh no i did uh, oh, okay. but when they you were stopped. on gotcha. live and yeah, then yeah. when they killed rob stark at the end of season three you were out i turned it off because like, i'm never watching this show again you lost your guy and that was it the red yeah. wedding turned you mm-hmm. off okay fair enough right and, and then just real quick my sister got me was like please watch this i really want to finish this with you so i watched it with her and then when they introduced Tormund, yeah. And then he became like somebody you loved. I straight up told her, if Tormund dies, that's it for me. I don't care what episode okay. we're on. I'm done with it again. Well, as far as we know, <laughs> Tormund is still out trekking in the, the northern wilderness. Um, right. But yes, with one episode left to go. And and so I've been a loyal watcher, I think, basically since definitely since season one, if not the exact beginning of the airing of Game of Thrones, to the point that I'm actually in a, a family group chat called Game of Swins. which which is a reference to my uh, extended family. And all we do is just throw around theories. And so shout out to Game of Swins. You guys trade memes? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Every every Sunday night and Monday, all day Monday, basically. Yeah. So for predictions for the last episode, I mean, you know, the most recent episode, uh, The Bells, having aired uh, a couple nights ago, I'm still in shock over it. I think my most assured prediction is that, unfortunately, Danny uh, Daenerys is going to die. I don't know who's going to do it or how it's going to get done, but I do think it's going to happen. I think we're going to have a Queen Slayer situation on our hands. Okay. Oh, oh, so you're thinking somebody within her circle. Yeah. So that could be Jon. That could be Arya. I don't think it would be Grey Worm. Um, that would surprise me, but... 
But yeah, somebody who she trusts is going to betray her. And then, but you don't know who's gonna who's on the Iron Throne in your prediction. Oh, so right. So I guess um, all that playing out. I'll just say John is like a reluctant throne sitter, <laughs> um, unless he literally runs away from the throne and goes north to run around with Tormund and Ghost, and that would leave. I think a nice twisty end would be uh, Gendry, the guy that was just made uh, Lord oh, yeah. of Storms End. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, she did make me Lord of Storms End, and. You know, I am the technically rightful heir to the throne. If you count Robert Baratheon being the previous, uh, you know, Lord of the Seven Kingdoms or King of the Seven Kingdoms. So that would be an interesting mm. resolution. But I honestly don't know. I think uh, it's yeah. just as possible that like the the whole Red Keep place will just be blown to smithereens and we'll we'll just have to start a democracy. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. They, they've just made us so confused this season. Yeah. But OK, yeah, I got it. I'm going to tell you my prediction. Okay. I told Ryan before this uh, and. I think it's a cool prediction. I hope people aren't going to make fun of me too badly when it when this almost certainly won't happen. However, my prediction is that the Game of Thrones creator and HBO has lied to us about the number of episodes that they're actually putting out. I am saying that they are not actually going to end the season this Sunday. Right. So that'd be yesterday if you're listening. So how many more episodes would you would you would this theory be ascribing to us getting? Well, that I wouldn't know. But what I think is going to happen Mm -hmm. is because of all this like crazy stuff. And a lot of people are upset about the kind of ruining of some character arcs that like go against the way it's been. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think. And if you remember about Bran affecting the past by touching Hordor. And give him a seizure, and that's how he says Hordor all the time when he was actually saying open the door or yes. whatever, hold the door. Hold the door, yeah. Uh, I think Bran is going to do something to uh, change everything that happened and reset back to earlier in the season. So, like, maybe Danny dies or John dies, something that completely, like, undoes everything that was done. Yes. Okay, well, that would be a crazy ending. Yeah, that'd be the, that'd be the best thing that ever happened in television. <laughs> well, I guess it'd be controversial, right? Because some people really liked, for example, the lost ending when it was revealed that they were like in purgatory or whatever. Some people hated it. You know, yeah. so I think people would react pretty strongly to that as well. But that's why we, we have fun with these predictions, because it does kind of feel like anything could happen. Yeah. Based on the last episode. So I'm pretty pumped. So we'll see. So shout out to all the Game of Thrones watchers. I hope you enjoy the last episode and come back yeah. uh, to listen to our rambling thoughts about the mental health implications of living in this alternative (laughs) universe. Okay. Okay. And if you do want to join those rambling thoughts of the implications of the game of Thrones universe or any of our other ramblings and thoughts, you can join our group, which is a mental health uh, support and discussion group. It's a really great group full of just lots of awesome people um, sharing memes, talking about mental health and uh, just hanging out, I guess. But if you want to join that group, just go to Facebook and search out Pop Psych 101 Mental Health Chat. And at that, let's get into it. Therapy is stupid. I don't trust the shrink. They screw with your head. Frank, it's the only way to settle the argument and find out who is the winner. Okay, uh, let me first just say that arguments do not have winners. Yeah, well, actually, this argument is more about determining who the loser will be, because right. most of us will be winners. Yeah, yeah, and it's not gonna be me, okay? I'm not doing those dishes, because I had the hardest job. Setting the table? Are you dumb? I hosted! It was wall-to-wall details. I was on edge the whole time. Well, it's gonna be you or Frank or Charlie, because Dennis and I cooked. The food was mush. The food was divine. It was pheasant. I never did the dishes before, and I'm not starting now. I bankrolled. Case closed. Well, I had the hardest job of anyone. I traveled all the way to this exotic merchant in search of this rare fowl. What the hell are you talking about, Charlie? You went to the corner gourmet grocery store and you bought pheasant. Okay, this is all, you know, a little bit unorthodox, but it is clearly about much more than just the dishes. Yeah, there's there's always levels. Oh, yeah, I mean, we're complex people. 9.08 p.m. on a Wednesday in Kansas City and New Jersey. By the way, thank you for giving yourself a specific location and me a broad location. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that, that, feels, that feels very on point for what we're about to talk about. Oh, I didn't even think about that. 
Well, I always forget the name of your city. No, no, it's fine. I'm from New Jersey. That's specific. It's like people Pinkleton, need to know. That's right. Summersville. Uh, no, it's it, people don't need to know, Mike. We're we're keeping yeah. it. Uh, we're keeping it uh, private because we're talking about such sensitive issues today. That's true. It's very sensitive. So here we are on a Wednesday evening talking. It's always sunny in Philadelphia, specifically season eight, episode five. Do I have that right? That's right. This was a suggestion for us. This was a suggestion, and it's the gang gets analyzed. Yes, it is. So the conceit of this episode is uh, D has a therapist, and in order to get the therapist to understand her and some of the problems that she's experiencing, she sabot not sabotages, but like surprises the therapist with all <laughs> of her friends so that she can meet the, the friends and analyze them and understand and solve their problem. The problem by which, of course, is who should do the dishes after a recent dinner party that they had. Very serious problem. They're super upset about the dishes. Uh, Dee's got some a bad case of psoriasis sure. going on. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the therapist wants her to know that those skin conditions could be a sign of a larger issue. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, I had to, I just need to ask you about that because I went, uh, they're trying to play this therapist as like a real, like, you know. Yeah, straight. They're playing the therapist straight. Yeah. Yeah, they're playing her straight. And I'm like, uh, Ryan, is that an actual thing? Uh, a little bit. So um, I'll just paint you a picture. Someone who has anxiety might have, let's say, certain anxious uh, behavioral tendencies, things like scratching or picking, which can lead to things like red skin or even psoriasis. So it's not that far off base. Hmm. I wouldn't necessarily immediately jump to that conclusion in a session right. with a patient, but right, right. Yeah. Sounds like they did uh, like, you know, 45 minutes of research before they dis <laughs> they yeah. wrote the script. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but anyway, she says that her and her friends get into an argument over dishes. And of course, in It's Always Sunny style, the whole gang breaks into the office at that moment because Dee lays, on, lays it onto the therapist that she has brought them. Oh, they're right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And they all just start yelling at the same time. And you don't understand any of the words any of them are saying. Dennis goes on a tirade, uh, Frank goes on a tirade, and they say, uh, you know, you need to figure out who's going to do the dishes. Yeah, by which they, they, the dishes they've actually brought to the therapy office. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they did, yeah, and dumped them on the floor. Yeah. Um, Dennis immediately takes the role of that he's also a therapist uh, and went to an Ivy League school and is kind of talking trash on the therapist uh, who went to LaSalle and then Frank says LaSalle uh, sounds like a pasta, which is, <laughs> I wrote that down as one of my favorite lines. But I don't know what's going on with the therapist. She just accepts it all and decides that she's going to take them on into individual therapy one at a time to figure out who's going to do the dishes. Yes, uh, she, she's a very accepting, validating therapist. Um, I can't say that I would have joined in the admeshed family dynamic that we are presented with here <laughs> as much as the therapist did. But I do have a lot of respect for her calm demeanor and just being able to run with what she's presented with. Okay. Uh, right. Because I the reality is, is sometimes I see patients and I'm like, man, I kind of wish you did bring your family or your significant other or your friends in. So I could understand from their perspective, the problems that you're describing. Sometimes that's very useful as a therapist. So, so if you're sitting in a chair and somebody's uh, four family members or friends just break into the office and start screaming and pour dishes on the ground. Uh, then I, I'd have some <laughs> major concerns. But but honestly, if they're there and the patient was game, I might I might try to run with it because my wow. nature, my nature is to just to be present with whatever the problem is. And presuming I had, you know, the appropriate uh, consents for the family members to be there and, and, you know, basically all my T's crossed and I's dotted, I'd be inclined to at least uh, help the family dynamic problem solve what was happening. And realistically, like I said, it is so useful. And, and I would say the majority of patients are resistant to having their family or significant others or friends involved. So this kind of opportunity just from a, like a, well, this should be interesting perspective. Yeah, yeah. I might be willing to go with it. You know, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe yeah. you'll learn something. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So that, that leads us into that this discussion about these fictional characters is going to be at best tongue in cheek. 
you know, we'll do some overanalyzing. We'll do some half-hearted diagnosing. Um, yeah, just for fun. Just for fun, because this is obviously a ridiculous show with ridiculous characters, and we want to have a little bit of fun with it. So, yeah, the like the number one most ridiculous characters, and part of the reason I think, like, I definitely wanted to say, hey, you know, we're doing this for fun. It's just because I don't want people to think we just like throw diagnoses into the air out there. Um, but we're doing it's always sunny, so we're gonna we're gonna figure out what's going on with them. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll at least give an attempt at figuring yeah, that yeah. out, even though they're <laughs> often all over the place. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and we are gonna do this uh, just like the episode, and we're gonna bring each one of the gang in at a time. Mac. <laughs> on edge. Yeah, you're goddamn right I'm on edge. I hosted the shit out of that party. And that's just not setting the table, okay? I made a playlist. I thought a cool shit to talk about. I provided security. I kept everybody safe. Safe. <sighs> All right, so first we have Mac. That's and right. what a way to start our therapy round table with these lovely characters. That's right. We got Ronald McDonald in the house. Is that his name? That's his name. It's Ronald okay, McDonald. I, I didn't know that. So that that makes it much better, of course. <laughs> they call him that in they high call school. Him Mac. Yep. And so they he changed it to Mac so no one would know his name was Ronald McDonald. I, I definitely I didn't know that. So he's That just could explain Mac. a lot. Oh, it sure could. Yeah. If you had to change your name from your your identity issues start to get blown out, you know, at a young age. So speaking of identity, Mac is a guy who he acknowledges sort of very intensely he sees himself as having this grand impact. Um, obviously, they're just talking about the dinner party, but like he did this, he did that, he did this, he did that. So that was the first thing that jumped out for me is that he had this sort of he has a sort of grandiosity about him. Yeah, uh, Mac thinks a that he's a black belt in karate. It's the first thing you see him doing is he's just going hoo, hoo, wah, hoo, hoo, chopping the air, and that's like something he does constantly in every episode. And what I saw was he was like on edge. He's like pacing around the room. He was screaming, like you said, about his responsibilities and keeping people safe, that kind of stuff. Yep. But then what happened right after that is the therapist starts talking to him and he quickly loses focus while she's talking because he's thinking about Charlie. Yes. So I was <laughs> I was wondering, the first thing I thought was, uh, does Mac have ADHD? That's what I was thinking. So that's not one of the things that that jumped out to me. I mean, he does have some difficulty staying focused but for me it felt much more just like an impulsivity so it's not necessarily that he's like he can't focus it's just that he is driven by emotion and okay. and the, the psychiatrist identified this as well that he she asked oh do you often experience you know emotions in quick succession and he says yeah yeah and then he says something <laughs> yeah. else um <laughs> yes. and and not yes. just not just emotions but weight right so he talks about you know how he gained and lost 60 pounds in the course of three months and that's how they get into body dysmorphia. She just like throws that out there after like two minutes. Yep. Uh, and he talked about the weight fluctuation because he's skinny now. He said, you know, back then when I was walking down the street, people would like cross the street to get away from me. And now they don't. And she's like, OK, you know, so we're improving on things. And then he's like, uh, no, he's like, I want people to cross the street. You know, he misses his fat self. Feeling like he's a skyscraper, a monster. This was These yes. were things that he was proud of, yeah. Yes, yes. He had a lot of bulk on him, or mass, as he likes to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and then she just throws out body dysmorphia, like, in, like, two minutes. First off, I have no idea what body dysmorphia really is. And then I didn't know if that's what Mac was actually dealing with here. So the therapist actually described it pretty well, basically, that you see yourself. You know, the sort of classic example is when you look in the mirror, what do you see? And someone with body dysmorphia, despite their family and friends perception that they are, let's say, just of normal uh, weight, they might see someone who's obese. They might see someone who's mm -hmm. a monster. They might see someone who's a skyscraper with all these mm -hmm. sort of negative connotations. Or in, in Mac's case, he thinks he's tiny when objectively yeah. <laughs> he's a he's a pretty like built. Okay. Yeah, he's like a he's like in shape, too. He's yeah, not just yeah, like yeah. skinny. He's so like he's buff. not tiny. Right. Yeah, he think I'm so tiny. Right. So that's so those are the sort of most predominant characteristics of body dysmorphia that you see your body in a way uh, in a dysmorphic way, basically like looking in the mirror and you see something that is not there like objectively. So that can contribute to things like eating disorders, you know, weight fluctuation, um, certainly depression. But I guess for me, the interesting 
you know, the sort of combination of the weight fluctuation and the emotional fluctuation. Max, a guy that goes from like super intensity to super vulnerability. Like he'd be oh, punch, yeah. punch in the air and then he like starts like crying and, and weeping, whimpering almost on the couch, like the things that he's upset about, the things that he's mad about. And then he kind of goes back to being intense and then he laughs, you know, he's thinking about Charlie, as you said. So it's like, man, this, it would just be hard to be a therapist with a patient like Mac because you kind of have to ride the roller coaster of emotions with him. Yeah. And get him to recognize that, you know, that roller coaster is something that uh, he may not have control over or he may, and there needs to be some skills put in place to help him do that. Right. Right. Uh, the other thing I do want to mention here is uh, this is where we do find out uh, because of the weight stuff that Dennis has been giving him size pills. Yeah. Because he's tiny, right? And so he wants to get big. So Dennis has been giving him size pills to get him big again. Right. But those pills are not actually pills that are going to get him big, right? No. <laughs> Wait, save that for Dennis. <laughs> oh, all right. Fair <laughs> enough. So, yeah. So, so that's weird. And, and Mac is under the impression that these pills are going to help him get big. But then the, the last piece that I was interested in with Mac is that, and this is very common for patients, is that he comes in and has a first impression of the therapist and has a sense that, like, there's no way this is going to work. Now, he says very inappropriately that he has a negative impression of women doctors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but essentially, it's about trust, right? Because then, you know, he says, oh, but because you believe in God or because you talked about God, now we're on the same page. That's right. And I, I've seen that, you know, not not in that uh, specific way that Mac describes it, but for patients to have that sort of initial distrust that is broken down over time by seeing the therapist as not only someone that they can trust, but someone who they believe understands their experience. So whether that's because of their religious views or uh, life experience Mm -hmm. or even just their ability to describe what the treatment process is going to look like that lowers those barriers. And then it, and it opens up the ability for that person to trust and actually get to work done. So I liked that. I like that little nugget. That reminds me, we talked, uh, we talked a lot about that in the Goodwill hunting episode. We did. Uh, about uh, where the line is between um, opening up as a therapist to get that empathy going with the patient versus like sharing too much. But was there anything overall with Mac if you had to throw out, this is, uh, I'm going to diagnose Mac in five minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, kind of. I mean, it's interesting in my research, you know, because I, I, this is not a series I've watched uh, episode to episode of. So I wanted to see like what the popular opinion was on each of these characters. And one of the ones that came up for Mac was bipolar disorder. So I actually wanted to ask huh. you if that's something, because I think you're a, a bigger fan of the show than I am. Is that something yeah. that you observed with Mac? Well, um, I don't know. I don't think I don't think so. Because I think they're identifying it based on some of his like, quote unquote, dramatic mood swings. But as you and I have talked about on the show, that's not necessarily what like bipolar mood swings look like. Yeah, that, that sounds like what someone imagines what bipolar looks like. I, no, I don't think so at all. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't. There might be a couple episodes where he might like have a depression, but like it isn't an ongoing thing. So, no, I don't see that at all. Yeah, so I agree with you. And the the more a sort of interesting description of his symptomatology is what we might think of as like delusional disorder or a grandiose yeah. delusional disorder. <laughs> yes. Where he just thinks he has this sort of overinflated sense of power and and capability. Yes. The capability is the big part too. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's a karate master, all this kind of stuff. And that that obviously gets in the way of his relationships and and causes conflict. So that's probably the area that I'd be focusing on with All Mac. Right. All right. And we won't even get into the ocular pat downs. Okay, good. <laughs> Charlie. Mm. Charlie. <clears throat> um, why don't you share with me how you feel the dinner went? Ah! Final do the dishes! You're just gonna make me do them anyway! No, 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 no. Why do you assume I'm going to make you do the dishes? Because it's Charlie work, and I'm going to get stuck with it, so I'll just do the dishes. God damn it! Charlie work? What's Charlie work? Fill me in. Oh, right. You don't even know what Right. Okay, well, Charlie work is like, you know, like basement stuff, cleaning urinals, uh, blood stuff, your basic slimes, your sludges, anything dead or decaying. You know, I'm on it. I'm dealing with it. And you dislike it? 
Well, no, I mean, at its core, I love it. You know, I love the dark, I love slippery things, I love being naked uh, in the sewer. Bleach smells good, it tastes good. So next you know, up, it's just like- we have Charlie, Charlie Kelly. That's right. I think his forehead is hurting <laughs> right now. Uh, again, you're going to have references that I'm not going to know what that is. No, that- he's, he's banging his head on the wall. Oh, yes. Yes, he was. That's right. He's standing in the therapist's office, yeah. banging his head on the wall. That's his reaction he, to this. He sure is. Well, <laughs> he's obviously anticipating being seen in a way that makes him very uncomfortable. That Well, that's weird for Charlie. Because that's basically his entire life. Yes. <laughs> this is a guy we're talking about who spends his days walking around a sewer holding his clothes over his head in case the sewer floods. Picking up rings. Yeah. Yeah. So he's... Anyway. So, <laughs> so he's... Uh, uh, I mean, I hate to use the word crazy, but I guess if there's... One character that feels the closest is it? Is it Charlie? Maybe it's Frank, and we'll get to Frank later. But no, it's not Frank. Okay, it's definitely Charlie. Okay, good. So I think Frank's got reasons, but sure. So we'll we'll talk about Charlie in some more charitable ways as we go. But but everyone thinks or makes him out to be crazy, and the therapist notes, which I appreciate, as that sort of despite his let's say poor coping skills or his his. Uh, alternative perspective or whatever crazy experiences he's had as a child, he's actually surprisingly well-adjusted, which is the phrase that she uses, which I really liked that. I did like that too. And, but at the same time, I saw no adjust, like (laughs) no wellness of adjustment with him. The things he was talking about were, uh, he glues cat hair to his neck. He thinks he's weirder than someone from Saturn. Yes. Uh, but with Charlie, like he really meant that when he said it. He well, really and that meant... actually, you're right. That felt actually like a vulnerable moment. Really? <laughs> Maybe it was just I was laughing too hard. Well, yeah. I mean, he it's 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 the sort of emotional vulnerability that as a therapist you pick up on. And she does. She asks him, like, why do you think you're weird? And then he shares some very legitimate reasons for thinking why he's weird. Yeah. But but there is this self-perception that Charlie has, you know, warranted or not, that he is crazy he's weird he's different and then as a result i think he's sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy that if he's crazy if he's weird he's just going to keep doing these things because people expect it of him right yeah and but one thing that kind of goes along with that is uh they they talk about charlie work yeah and that's the fact that at the bar uh patty's that he gets assigned a, a lot of charlie work which is doing like horrible disgusting messy like, as disgusting as you can imagine, like, that's what they are having Charlie doing. He does admit that he loves doing disgusting things and getting in the messes and all that kind of stuff. Getting naked, oh. drinking bleach. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. He loves the taste of bleach mm-hmm. and huffing paint, too. But the big thing for Charlie is, is that he doesn't like being told what to do. Right. And then that's what kind of sends him into that thing where he thinks that he's he's weirder than someone from Saturn. Sure. And I'm just wondering if, like you saw here, like Charlie is reacting um, to the way he's being treated. Yes, Charlie is pretty paranoid. We know that. I mean, I know enough about this show that that is a theme that comes up a lot, that he can take very small pieces of evidence and make sort of very large assumptions about what it means, you know, if if this thing happens that, oh, my God, then <laughs> then that happens. And the therapist kind of does that where, you know, she insinuates that he's well adjusted and that he just needs some, you know, healthy traditions. And he turns that into, oh, so you're just saying I need to keep doing what I'm doing and, and more cat hair yeah. and, and more this and more that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where I think paranoia comes in, because based on very minimal evidence, he has to kind of get back out there and act in a way that he thinks is going to be effective, but often is not. He also starts like right after that, he also starts um, repeating everything that the therapist says instead of having any of his own opinions. And I actually had uh, a couple of questions about that. Sure. <laughs> and those being, has that ever happened to you? And then also, like, what is he doing by by doing that? Yeah, so it, it does on occasion happen because, as you can imagine in therapy, we, we try to, whether you think of it as wrapping up sessions with sort of broad uh, conclusions or broad areas for work like okay for next week i want you to think about this or i want you to work on this or i want you to practice that and you just sort of assume that you're on the same page with the patient and that they're going to go out and work on the things that you talked about 
but and this is just because communication is hard and, and people are sometimes paranoid or sometimes people you know think the worst of themselves or, or or others in some cases that they come back the next week with a view of what you said to them and it was not at all what you meant oh yeah and that can be really tough because you know especially if it's you know if a patient's angry with you like oh you told me to do this or you told me to think like this and i did that and and i was more depressed or i was more anxious and and you know, as a therapist, I'm always going to take responsibility. I'm going to, I apologize because I want to make sure that we are on the same page and anything, if, if I did contribute to symptoms worsening, I'm going to at least attempt to take responsibility for that, to join with the patient and whatever their experience of, you know, our previous communication was. Okay. I have one question before I'm going to ask you what's going on with Charlie yeah. in his brain. And that's, has anyone ever came into your office with a dead pigeon in their coat. <laughs> um, I feel like I would remember that if it happened. There's no lots of pheasants and fowls being thrown around. No, no birds. Um, okay. I've had people bring their like therapeutic animals, which. Okay. But they're alive. They're alive and, and, okay. you know, supportive emotionally. So that's great. I think the, the, cl <laughs> the closest thing is, <laughs> You know, I, I work in a big old house. Um, so as you can imagine, like big old houses get bugs. So patients okay. react very differently to seeing bugs in the office. Uh oh. So then I have to respond to that in a way that I, I, I hope is going to make them comfortable and ideally me comfortable. Like if I see a spider right behind a patient's head and I can't relax, like then I have oh, to, I gosh. have to. I have to communicate that because otherwise I'm not going to be able to focus on what they're saying. And vice versa, if a patient oh my God. if a patient sees a bee or a I don't know, a stink bug. <laughs> what is that happening in your office? Well, it's like I said, it's a big old house. Um I'm on the This sounds equally like this sounds equally as ridiculous as having a pit a dead pigeon. No, no, no. I mean like I said, big There's old house. Bees and spiders and stink bugs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a big old house and I'm on the third floor. It's like an attic space and the windows are old. It's a beautiful building, by the way. I'm not disparaging mm. it by any means. It's but yeah, bugs get in. Yeah, it's I'm, I'm, I'm not affected it. by it. It's just it's one of those treatment issues that when it comes <laughs> up, you have to be sensitive to uh, the patient's perspective. Like they might really not want me to do anything. They might not want me to kill it. They might want me to save it or try to get it out the window. Or they might want me to kill it. Or we can't move on. We can't do anything until it's gone. So it's just navigating that <laughs> can be uh, challenging. <laughs> okay, okay. So what have we got going on with Charlie? A guy who uh, loves doing disgusting things. He doesn't like being told what to do. He thinks he's weird. He puts cat hair and glues it onto the back of his neck and all sorts of other stuff. So, yeah, uh, aside from the fact that Charlie has what we would consider like maladaptive coping skills, like the things that he does that he thinks are going to solve his problems largely don't. That oh, never. That obviously is a treatment issue. But from a diagnosis perspective, you know, he's he's not that far from paranoid schizophrenia, if I'm being honest. Oh, my gosh. Um, yes. <laughs> this is you know, amazing. even even when he comes in, and he's banging his head on the wall. That's that's self-harm, which is, is also uh, common with people uh, who are on that sort of dangerous, uh, not not dangerous in the sense of dangerous to others, but dangerous to themselves end of the spectrum. You know, a lot of times you'll get people who are paranoid schizophrenic, you know, running out into traffic or, or doing things that are not necessarily a danger to other people, but they can end up doing things that are very risky to themselves. Yeah. And one time Charlie did Try to cook some hot dogs on a little grill inside of a U-Haul and almost kill himself. So yeah, yeah. So it it might fit, and I do think, as I said before, that Charlie's very paranoid. I don't know that he's necessarily hallucinating, but if you eat enough cat food, I wouldn't put it past him. Frank. Talk about. I ain't talking about nothing. This skull is Fort Knox. Why don't you trust therapists? <sighs> I opened up to a therapist just once. I was a kid. I got into a fight 
The doctor asked me question after question. Got me so scrambled up. Next thing you know, I was shanghaied upstate to a nitwit school. You know what a nitwit school is? I assume you mean a school for the mentally disabled. Yeah, not just for nuts in the head. Bodies, too. Back then, science was real crude. All right, Mike, next up in our, uh, I don't even know what to call this, this this weird group therapy situation that we're in, is is Frank. That's right. It's Frank, the patriarch, who isn't actually the patriarch, but that's fine. Right. Uh, fun fact before we get going with Danny DeVito, first, first season of It's Always Sunny, it was just the four. It was just uh, D, Dennis, Mac, and Charlie. Right. And then... Uh, from what I've read, they actually basically said to them, we have to have like a known person on this show f- to go forward with you guys. Yep. And that's when Danny DeVito came in. And that's also when the show got good. Oh, yeah. So thank you, Danny DeVito, for all this for sure. weirdness. Yeah. For what other win? Like <laughs> nine or 10 seasons, 11 seasons now? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's up there. Yeah. I think 11. You're right. Um, But this is the guy, Frank, who I feel the worst for. Interesting. Okay, please say more. Him. Okay. Well, if what he's saying in this therapy session is, uh, if we took it at face value, mm-hmm. then I feel bad for him. I, it, sure. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's got some issues going on. He does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, the, the God, there's so much here in such a, probably one of the shortest little scenes you know, the starting out just like spitting what like pistachio cells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just spitting at the therapist. I love that because, you know, even if I haven't had pistachio shells spit at me, you know, you certainly I certainly have had patients where they come in and it's very clear, not only do they not want to be there, but there's a, a severe distrust, whether it's because of previous personal experience or yeah, you know, just that their their trust has been broken in some other way before that they're not they're not really on board with you going into the experience. This really says a lot about you. Everything you've reacted to so far, I really thought at this point you would have already said like this therapist should also need to leave this building. Like nobody belongs in this room. No, I think she's doing great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what it seems like. You, you're you saying that like she's taking it as, as she's going and yeah. that's what she should be doing. So I'm really surprised by that. Well, yeah, because if I did have a patient who was spitting pistachio shells at me, at least at the start, you know, that's the goal is just to pay no mind that, you know, can you dig into the emotional content and ignore the blocks that the patient is trying to throw up? Yeah. You know, he's he's spitting potassio cells because he wants uh, the therapist to kick him out. You know, get out of here. I don't I'm not talking to you if you're spitting potassio cells in my office. But if you can get through that and and ask, you know, why don't you trust therapists, which is what she does, you immediately get into some really valuable uh, content. So I thought she did a great job. <laughs> now, yeah. to be fair, as that went on, um, and she, as, as Frank said, unzipped him, um, <laughs> she immediately uh, tried to bring it back to the dishes, which I thought was hilarious, because yeah, yeah. she could see that this was going in a very complicated direction. And, and she didn't have enough time for this. She didn't want to do that. Right. And that's that that is common for therapists. You know, presumably she's been in this office with this group of friends for at least what over an hour now at, at this least, point. Yeah. Yeah. And is is getting this conversation with this guy who's talking about his frog boy and girl with no lips. And it's like, <laughs> we don't have time to to literally unzip right. all of this. And she might be more open and patient with that story if Frank was going to be like an ongoing sure. patient of hers. And, but, and he probably should be, but yeah. Uh, but he basically like broke down the door with the gang and now he's just randomly sitting on her couch. But from my perspective, what I was saying about sympathizing with Frank and feeling sad for him is the story he tells, if we were to believe it to be true, and from what I know about Frank is that he's not a big liar. He has lots of crazy things happen to him, but I don't think he's a big liar. Someone's going to call me out on that. But he says that he doesn't open to ther- open up to therapists because the only time he did when he was a kid, they put him in a mental institution. And this place was horrible and traumatizing because he called it a nitwit school. Yes. For people um, with bad brains, but also bodies, too. Mm hmm. And he shared a room with the frog kid. Yep. And and this is when the story for me got a little sad. And that's when he said, and I had my first kiss. And he starts crying right here. Yep. 
he kissed a girl who was always smiling and she was an angel. But she's always smiling because she didn't have any lips. But but at, at the end, he he keeps shouting, it's all coming back and it's all coming back because he doesn't want to think about it. And the thing he doesn't want to think about is the fact that his angel, the no-lipped angel, uh, died because she used a plastic bag as a space helmet when she was acting as a space person. Yeah. And so now Frank is reliving this trauma that he seems to have pushed away. And I'm really trying to give you some stuff. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, 100%. So even just the line, you unzipped me, um, <laughs> is I love because... And, and look, you know, to be fair, uh, this experience of a sort of like hardened uh, walls up kind of patient coming into your office. And as the therapist, if you can just be patient and ask the right questions, you can quote unquote unzip them. You can offer, <laughs> you can create the safe space for them to acknowledge whatever trauma or negative thoughts or feelings they've experienced. I'm going to stop oh. saying unzip. <laughs> You're so, ruining me. Uh, well, so, so yeah, this is an experience I've had where I've, you know, worked with, scary people who have had, you know, prison time or, you know, people who are from a status perspective, like CEOs or, you know, people who Frank's the CEO. Right. Exactly. So people who come into treatment and your first impression is that they're not going to give you much, but over time, if you can uh, validate and just be present with them, that they are, you know, often very willing to go into those emotional issues as Frank eventually does. So I think that's, for me, it's like one of the biggest lessons from this ridiculous episode is that <laughs> if you're if you give your your therapist an opening, they'll take it <laughs> and be prepared for the things that are going to come up. Right. Uh, all right. So if you were to pretend diagnose this pretend character in our fun way today, do you have like something you would throw at Frank? Because what I'm seeing is just like a guy who has a story. Yeah, it's funny because when I was doing my research, um, it actually came up that the the frog kid was actually himself the entire time. I don't oh, know if that's gosh. correct. Yeah, that would. Yeah. Mm. But that's what I read. So if that's true, you know, that's not necessarily I'm not going to jump to schizophrenia or anything like that or delusions. But but certainly, you know, we might have PTSD. We might have some um dissociative behavior like he went somewhere else or created this other person kind of like fight club to help him get through this traumatic experience mm. so i think there's definitely uh something there you know we don't get in this episode why he was in therapy the first time but if it was for something traumatic which we're sort of being hinted at then then for sure he could have some symptoms of ptsd and he might react to things the way he does as a result of that you know ryan mike you unzipped me just now. Dennis. This is me saluting you. I'm a big fan of your work. How quickly you rattled their cages, broke them all down. It's not about breaking, it's about helping them. Mm. It's interesting, our thing, isn't it? To be in someone's mind, to have complete control it's like the thrill of being near the executioner's switch. Knowing that at any moment, you could throw it. But knowing you never will. But you could. Never isn't the right word, because I could. And I might. I probably will. Will you sit down, please? All right, Mike, next up we have sure. Dennis. Dennis. Son of Frank. Son of Frank. Dennis, the amateur psychologist. Den Dennis, the amateur psychologist. So Dennis comes in and immediately wants to talk about everybody else. So Dennis comes in and immediately wants to talk about. Yeah, you get it. <laughs> you're, you're, you're mirroring me and I appreciate that. I hope you're drawing the same conclusions. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What's up with Dennis? <laughs> well, I mean a lot. Um, the therapist tries to get him to focus on himself, but quickly notices that the only way to sort of engage with him is to sort of talk about how he relates to these other people that he thinks he is clearly superior to. Well, it starts even before that. The first at the, in the opening of the show, uh, he walks in and and says, "Oh, you're a therapist. Me too. 
I went to this Ivy League school, you know, and like we said, he made fun of her school. Uh, and then when he walks back into the office again for his session, he's still like maintaining that they are peers and basically like quizzing her. Not, not an age though, Mike, because she's clearly decades older than him, <laughs> which I, which really stung, if I'm being honest. <laughs> He's so good at that, like, backslap there. Yes, yes. But yeah, he's he's basically, like, challenging her uh, t- to make sure she's doing a good job. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, and this is when you kind of start understanding that he definitely feels he's superior in this episode, mm-hmm. is he pulls out his, oh, what's the it? The dossiers. Yes, his psychological dossier. Yes. And which he has been, main- he's been maintaining D's since second grade. In crayon, yes. <laughs> yes, in crayon. Basically, he he wants to go over um, some diagnosis with the therapist and says he's most interested in Mac. And well, he nails it. He nails everything that she said. Yeah, he's 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 not wrong, um, which is fine. But and this is, you know, in the sense that I have worked with people like Dennis, the sort of amateur psychologist, the person that wants to diagnose everyone else around them because that gives them a sense of comfort or a sense of satisfaction that if they can sort of categorize the people around them, they can come to understand them in a way that makes sense, that that helps them interact with them in a way that is, you know, more comfortable or just makes more sense. So that I've certainly encountered, you know, but obviously this with Dennis goes to a different level where he just doesn't want to take any responsibility for his actions, even if he feels like he's helping people like Mac, for example, by giving him Mexican ephedra. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It, it He's also like interjecting himself into the actual physical part of somebody else's life. So Mac, it turns out, has become skinny and his whole weight loss thing was because Dennis thought he was disgusting and he was smelly and a horrible person because he was fat. So he started giving him size pills because you got to remember, Mac was very much enjoying the mass that he put on. And now he's turned Mac into Tiny Mac. He's proud of it. Yeah. 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 He's he thinks he's done the right thing. Yes. And he 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 can't he has like no ability to see himself from another perspective. That's right. And very little empathy for, as he calls them, the raving lunatics in her waiting room. And it's like, oh and you're as a viewer, you're definitely like, okay, well, you're one of those. Yeah, yeah. Just a different <laughs> a different flavor of what he's seeing in his friends and family members. Have you ever dealt with someone that like came into your office? And they were like trying to control and not the and I know the way you are and you would never want to control like a session. But I guess in like the way Frank, too, was like standoffish in that way. Have you had someone come in that's just like doesn't want you to, I don't know, push things forward and it's going to be all them on their terms, that kind of thing? Yeah, the most common scenario that would look like that is when a patient comes in and when you sort of ask them to identify the problem, it's the problem is someone else. So the problem is my partner or the problem Mm. is my kid or the problem is my mom. Or Mac, yeah. Yeah, the problem is my roommate. And, 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 you know, as a therapist, you know, certainly not discounting that that person might have a huge impact on uh, my patient or their stress level, you know, being able to recognize the role or recognize the the internal thoughts and feelings and associations that my patient has in response to those people that we have to be able to do that work you know we can diagnose your friends or family all day but if you're not making any changes nothing's gonna happen for you the way you want it to if we were gonna take this part of it literally like what would you think about somebody that was maintaining psychological records on someone their entire life um, um well, <laughs> I mean, because that's like the, yeah. the craziest part here. Yes. Oh, for sure. It's it's a huge, not just invasion of privacy and manipulation. There's obsession. Yeah. So, I mean, it's and the therapist doesn't like take active interest in it. And that's, again, like this, the theme of the therapist is that each person in this uh, twisted dynamic has their own inappropriate or or weird or twisty thing about them Mm -hmm. and she doesn't feed she tries at least she tries not to feed into that and she tries to bring it back to a problematic behavior or problematic feeling or problematic thought and that's a really good tactic in not letting the patients let's say defense mechanisms get in the way of the work that needs to be done in therapy wow 
So for Dennis, it's like he wants to talk about his psychological dossiers and she brings him back to his manipulative behavior. I can't remember. What does she say about that? Um, well, it's funny. She doesn't actually outwardly criticize it. She just sort of points it out. And that's another sort of common therapist technique is in that I would say therapists for the most part try really hard not to be judgmental of behavior or decisions that their patients are making sure and just to be able to accept them on the face but to also be able to point out discrepancies if well you care about this person but you're also treating them this way you care about this person but you're also lying to them so you know where is the the line between do you actually care about this person or are you just doing this for your own sense of comfort so he's giving him pills not so he feels better but so dennis feels better okay so uh, last one here how would you feel, and we're looking literally again, if your patient or client that was sitting in front of you was drawing conclusions? And what I mean by that is he was uh, writing something on a pad and the therapist asked him, what are you doing? And he oh, said, I'm yeah. drawing conclusions. <laughs> and he turns the pad around and he meant literally he was drawing conclusions. And the mm -hmm. conclusion was that it was a picture of him and the therapist um, in a provocative way. and. <laughs> and so, of course it yes. clips away very very inappropriate way yes so um now, what would you do interestingly enough i have had a patient draw a picture of me um it was not nearly as inappropriate as dennis's picture of the therapist <laughs> but when i used to work with adolescents so you know uh 12 to 18 year olds you would do things like art therapy you know we always have a whiteboard and group therapy so opportunities for them to doodle or, or create uh, things would come up fairly regularly. But this is, and maybe this only happened one or two times where, you know, they're doing an activity, for example, with the art therapist. And then I come back in and I see uh, in the room was a drawing of me with a big uh, speech bubble that said, let's talk about substance abuse. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and honestly, it, it was pretty on point. I had to give this patient credit because even though I looked like I had a giant head and was a little dorky looking, it's it's not that inaccurate. <laughs> so, so I mean, it didn't offend you or anything? No, no. I mean, you know, realistically, even if the patient was trying to sort of poke fun at me or, or get a rise out of me, as Dennis is obviously trying to do, as, as the therapist in this episode does, you just try to ignore it and just say, okay, that's how you want to see me. Moving on, basically, you know, yeah. back to the dishes or back to substance <laughs> abuse. And that's and I don't I just not just pay no mind because, you know, there's very little positive benefit I could get out of talking with a patient like, oh, well, why did you draw me that way? Why do I such have have such a huge head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah. Hey, so. hey you know, his drawing was very generous. Yeah, well, he says what he says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, I, you know, as a therapist, sometimes the best you can do is just to, just to say to yourself and sometimes to the patient, so we're going to move on from that. We're going to skip that and, and to come back to something with, with more appropriate content. D. D, I'm afraid I have a serious issue to discuss with you. Yeah. I cannot help you if you are lying in every session. Lying? Why would I be lying? What are you talking about? Why would you, where are you getting this? Were you or were you not uh -huh. the first choice for the female lead in the notebook? Yes. Yes, I was. And I had to unfortunately pass because of a scheduling conflict. We went, we went over this. I, I graciously handed it to Rachel McAdams and she, she did a fine job with the film. I'm, I'm secure enough to admit that. I'm finding all this hard to believe. Oh, what do you want to hear, Doc? Huh? That I had cigarettes put out on me when I was a kid? That this isn't a surgery scar, huh? And to cap us all off, one more round of inappropriate behavior or inappropriate discussion. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yep. So we, arrive, we arrive back at the original patient who brought yeah. all of this chaos into the therapist's office, that being D. That's right. And, uh, you know, I didn't actually think when I first watched it they were going to come back to her because I thought the first one was hers. Then they did come back to her. And I, I'm grateful that they did. And guess what? Things got weird. 
as they did in every session. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But yes, uh, particularly with D, uh, they got they got weird. Uh, I actually liked that they that the therapist sort of showed this. So I, you know, as we were talking about uh, Dennis previously, and I said, you know, therapists often are unlikely to confront patients. Oh, this was my big one here. But yeah. she jumps in and and does confront D on her tendency to lie in every session. That's right. Uh, D comes in and sits down, or she's already sitting down, and, and the therapist is not even commenting on today's dishes fiasco. She's back into their normal therapy session yep. in her mind, mm -hmm. and she says, "D, uh, we can't go forward, and we can't, you know, make any benefits from this if you." keep lying to me. And of course, D says, lying? Why would I? And the therapist says, so is it true that you were the first call for the movie Notebook? And she was like, she had a scheduling conflict, but Rachel McAdams did a, a good job anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and then she goes into like a New York accent and a slash Boston accent, and she's trying to do this goodwill hunting speech. And so it's just super obvious that D is just lying from the first to last word. And then, like you said, she, I guess she calls her out. She sure does. Yeah. She says, you know, you're lying in every session. And as a therapist, it's tough because you want to assume that your patients are telling you the truth. But if enough evidence is built up that it, it is an unavoidable that lying is like a predominant form of communication for the patient, you, you sort of put in no and no, it's like a catchway too. It's like either I let this person continue to lie and presumably get no benefit from therapy, or I confront it, and then we kind of deal with what's really happening for this person. Or right. they might feel rejected, and then the therapy might end. So that's that's the conflict that therapists are often put in. Of if I confront this person's behavior, they might be so upset or so rejected that they might leave. And right, then, and and but if I continue to let them lie, yeah. well, they're not going to get benefit there anyway. Like That's this right. would be the therapist rocking a hard place. Yes, and you know, I I I I can't say I've had any patients who have lied to me so much to this extent. But one thing that does happen from time to time is what we would think of as like a slow drip of personal experiences that the patient hasn't let on from the beginning. So it's like the patient that often says things like, so I've never told anyone this before. If there's a lot of those things, it's not that I would assume the patient's been lying, but well, why haven't we gotten to these things earlier? If this is a formative event for you, if this is a traumatic event for you, you know, why has we been holding out on this? So mm -hmm. not that I would confront that, but just to sort of, okay, you know, well, what's going on now that you're comfortable sharing this information or what's comfortable now that you're comfortable being honest about right this uh this experience that you had so so that can be a, a difficult sort of transition in therapy to to move through that stuff so so would would you or wouldn't you to their face be like i i think you're lying and if we're going to move forward then we really need to try honesty or, or however you would put that but would you do it like that literally like that bluntly i guess so and the, part of the reason that i think the the confrontation happens is that the type of lies that D tells are so outlandish <laughs> yeah. that it's pretty obvious <laughs> and and appropriate to confront, right? Because <laughs> if it was just lies about, you know, what happened between her and her most recent boyfriend or what happened in the family, the therapist would have very little idea that those were lies unless she was doing therapy with the family, right? Right. Yeah. So, you know, that's the sort of only situation in which I would be put in a position to confront a lie was if the patient was making such unbelievable claims on a consistent basis that I felt like I had to suggest my skepticism about the uh, accuracy of these claims. <laughs> and, you know, so I'll give you an example, you know, when I have worked with people, for example, who do have schizophrenia or people who have um, hallucinations and things like that, and they have made uh, incredible claims to that degree. You know, my first instinct is always to join the patient in whatever they say their experiences were. But then over time, if those experiences feel like they don't mesh with other experiences that they talk about, sure. then it becomes appropriate to confront and say, OK, well, what, what's really going on here? You know, you, you before you told me this, but now you're telling me this. So can we try to, to sort through what's really happening? Yeah. How can you do your job? So trying to confront the lie while being as non-confrontational as possible. 
I'm just like concerned about Dee during this whole thing. She goes into this next part where after the therapist confronts her, uh, she asks her, would I be better than Rachel McAdams? And she's talking <laughs> about, you know, Ryan Gosling, Rachel McAdams, The Notebook. And like, yeah. what are you talking about, Dee? Mm-hmm. But then she starts screaming, tell me I'm good. You know, a- an actor, basically. She she thinks she's an actor. The therapist knows she's not an actor. Right. But she keeps saying she's an actor. She wants to know that she's good at it. Uh, would I be better than Rachel McAdams? Tell me I'm good. She starts screaming it over and over. And so what I was like, in my mind, what I was seeing was like somebody who really needed like validation from somebody, like just needed it. I don't know if you saw the same thing. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we've been dancing around uh, diagnoses for each of these characters, but D sure. in some ways fits um, what we think of his, as histrionic personality disorder, which oh, is characterized. Yeah. So it's characterized by extreme attention seeking behavior, extreme emotionality, and this sort of extreme need for for acceptance and validation. So she's she's pretty on the nose with a lot of those characteristics. And this is an example of that, right? Tell me I'm good. Tell me I'm good. Is she kind of gets locked into someone has confronted me, someone who I thought, you know, accepted and validated me now is confronting me and not believing me. I need to reinstate my feeling of comfort and acceptance in this relationship. Right. She's got to uh, believe that the other person believes her again. Yes. Well, Okay. All right. I think that wraps up the gang and the dissection of the gang. So we do have to do our ratings today. If you haven't listened to the show before, every week Ryan and I rate on a scale of one to five. Ryan rates uh, on the scale of accuracy and I rate on the scale of the critic scale. Ryan, what do you have? So I want to split it up because I did love the subtle portrayal of the therapist in this episode. That I'm giving the therapist a four out of five. Oh, wow. She was fantastic. Didn't give in, didn't draw attention to any attention-seeking behaviors that the gang portrayed. And meanwhile, the the gang themselves, I give a one out of five. <laughs> oh, easily, right? Um, and I'll say a one out of five jacket pigeons. That's because okay. <laughs> I thought that, that sort of emphasizes the, uh, the intensity of symptoms that we were dealing with here. So... There's aspects of reality with each of these characters, but there's some blow out of proportion that it's hard to take anything of use away from their portrayal. Right, right. But it's funny. <laughs> it was very funny. I mean, we, we've been talking back and forth. Yeah. This, shows have to do this sometimes where they, yeah. the characters get so blown out of proportion that it's not based in any you know coherent reality anymore. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to do my rating, and uh, my rating, I'm going to do out of uh, one to five frog kids. Sure. <laughs> yep, yep, we got to uh, acknowledge the frog kid again. Okay, so for a series, we don't do a lot of TV series, and Ryan and I have talked about doing just a one-episode show before, like a snapshot. Just one episode yeah. of it. Yeah, like yeah. a snapshot of a show before, and we finally got to do it. So I have to, I have to rate this episode a four. So... It's it's not the best It's Always Sunny episode, but it, most of them are pretty good. It's a really good episode. I laughed a lot. Uh, I mean, you don't have to say a lot. These characters are super wacky, but the show as a whole is a five. So, all right, all right. We do have to get out of here for the day. Don't forget to stick around and listen to Ryan's closing thoughts. Before that, though, we need to thank Kevin McLeod for providing all the music that we use on the show. If you want to find Kevin and his royalty-free music, you can find it at incompetech.com. Ryan, thanks for talking with me every week. And now for some closing thoughts on the episode The Gang Gets Analyzed from the series It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. First of all, obviously this is a ridiculous show, but I'd like to take a second to talk about the value of family therapy. Even if the therapist would have objected to Dee bringing in her family and friends over a small issue like who should do the dishes following a dinner party, the therapist undoubtedly gained invaluable insight into the dysfunctional relationships Dee has to deal with every day. This insight can then be used to help Dee more directly in individual therapy, especially when Dee is lying so often about the things she experiences. I offer family or couples counseling to the majority of my patients for this very reason. Bringing family members into therapy even once can help the patient learn to express themselves and describe their struggles in an effective way, and can then help the therapist see things from the patient's perspective more directly. Alternatively, it can also offer the therapist different perspectives on whatever problems the patient might be identifying, which can then improve the therapist's understanding of the problem. So if you're in therapy and couples or family sessions are offered, 
Assuming it would be appropriate, I would strongly encourage you to consider giving it a shot. It can be scary and intimidating having those people be a part of your treatment experience, but it can also be an opportunity to build support and be understood in a way you didn't know was possible. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Thank you, as always, to my co-host and executive producer, Mike Graham. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are everywhere at PopPsych101. We also love hearing from our listeners, so if you want to give feedback or suggest something for us to cover, you can email us at poppsych101 at gmail.com or join our Facebook group. PopPsych101 is on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us share these discussions about mental health, please leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe wherever you listen. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstad. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101. This ends now. You got Frank all messed up. You got Mac not taking his size pills. You got Charlie thinking that he's well-adjusted when he's the craziest of all. Stop calling me crazy! You're I'm not crazy. crazy. You're crazy, okay? You've been eating pigeon all day and loving it. You all ate pigeon. What? what? Yeah, I served you pigeon, okay? I'm not gonna spend my money on a pheasant when I can get a perfectly good street bird. All right, you ate pigeon. Yeah. Ah! Oh, my God! Oh, Jesus Christ, Charlie. Wait, Screw it. Tell him I'm not crazy. You are. You know what? I don't care. I'm gonna get my stomach pumped, lady. You gotta finish this, okay? Give us answers now. Well, I think we've made some great steps today. Dishes! What? Dishes. There is much more at play here than just dishes. So you want me to just tell you who's dishes? Dishes. You are a severely dysfunctional dishes. 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 Okay. 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 Do the dishes. I feel like a weight has been lifted. You're good. You're a good therapist. Thank you.